Please join me as we pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this wisdom from your word about love. We pray that we might understand what is here and that through this we may understand better your love for us and be better equipped to be wise lovers ourselves. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, what a tangled web we weave. That's what Sir Walter Scott wrote in his poem, Marmion. Uh, He was talking about lying and deceit, not about love. But I reckon the saying applies pretty well to this love affair that we've been looking at in Song of Songs, doesn't it? It's been been quite a tangled web, hasn't it? Do you remember the situation? The woman is uh, holed up at her parents' house, hiding hiding away from the man. Back in chapter 2... He went to her parents' place to call her out. He said, come on, it's springtime, come and play. But she sent him away. She refused to talk to him. She went to bed. And since then, she's been dreaming. In her dreams, some things have become clear to her. She loves the man. She wants him to step up and be happy to marry her. But now she's worried that by sending him away, she's lost him for good. We know that she doesn't need to worry because meanwhile the man has also realised how much he loves her. He respects that she's a locked garden, that she insists on marriage and won't settle for a fling. He's ready to joyfully make her his bride and so he's going back to her parents' place to try again. But as we come now into the fourth verse of this song, the couple are still not together. She's worried that she was too rough on him in sending him away. She, she might have lost him. She wants to go and find him. He's worried that she hates him. Uh, but he's going to go back and, and back to her parents' place to give it one last shot. It is quite a tangled web that they have woven. Well, now as we pick up the story, the daughters of Jerusalem have a question. I assume that the girl has now finally woken up. And uh, as we saw last week, she has asked her friends, the daughters of Jerusalem, to help her find the man and tell him that she is ready. Now, we saw this last week, chapter 5, verse 8. She said, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my lover, what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. Well, she has asked them to pass on this message. And so now these daughters of Jerusalem ask her, They say, well, why? Why this man above all other men? You're a pretty girl. You could have your pick of men. Why this bloke in particular? Chapter 5 and verse 9. Have a look with me. Chapter 5 and verse 9. How is your beloved better than others, most beautiful of women? How is your beloved better than others that you charge us so? The woman goes on to give her reasons. She says that he has a nice head and a nice face. Verse 10. My lover is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. His head is purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice, yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies dripping with myrrh. He has a nice and nice smelling head and face. She also says that he has a strong body. He is strong and stable. Verse 14. His arms are rods of gold set with chrysolite. 
His body is like polished ivory decorated with sapphires. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. He is strong and stable. She also says that his mouth is sweet, which may mean kissable, or it may mean that he speaks nicely to her. Anyway, she says, for all of these reasons, she loves this man more than all others. Verse 16. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my lover. This is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. The daughters of Jerusalem have a second question. You want us to find your lover? Well, where do we look? Where is he? Chapter 6 and verse 1. Where is your lover gone, most beautiful of women? Which way did your lover turn that we may look for him with you? Now, I reckon it's critical that we understand the girl's answer here. I think it's very important for understanding the scene. But to understand her answer, we need to remember some stuff that we've seen already in the song. So come back with me first to chapter 2 and verse 16. Chapter 2 and verse 16. Back in chapter 2, you remember... The man was standing in the girl's front yard, her parents' front yard, calling her to come out of her parents' house and talk to him. And just before she sent him away, she described him, described him as he stood waiting for her in her parents' front yard. It was chapter 2, verse 16, and she said, My lover is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies. She described him as browsing among the lilies as he waited for her in her parents' front yard. Then she sent him off to the mountains until the day breaks and the shadows flee. On your bike, buddy, go away up the mountains, she said to him. But you may remember, after wandering for a little while, he decided not to do what she said. He refused to stay away uh, in the mountains until the next day. Instead, he decided he was going to come right back to her. He said, until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I'm going right back to that beautiful-smelling mountain of a girl. So he's decided he's going back again. Uh, Just one more thing to remember. The man has been describing the girl as a garden, a locked garden, and she also has been describing herself as a garden. So, for example, the second half of chapter 4, verse 16. Chapter 4, verse 16. Let my lover come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. Okay, three pieces of evidence that I think we need to understand this next verse. She's previously described him in her parents' front yard as browsing among the lilies. We know that he's decided to head back to her house to try and talk to her again, and they've both been describing her as his garden. Well, now, the daughters of Jerusalem have asked, where do we find this man? Let's look at her answer, chapter 6 and verse 2. My lover has gone down to his garden to the beds of spices, to browse in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my lover's and my lover is mine. He browses among the lilies. So where is he? He's come back to her parents' place. She thought he was gone. In her dream, she was worried that she had lost him by telling him to go away. But now she looks up and there he is, still peering through the lattice, still browsing in the lilies in, 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 uh, in her parents' front yard. He's come back to his garden, she says, that is to the girl herself. He, he's back in the front yard, browsing among the lilies again. As she looks, she also hears, she hears him talking as he is still preparing the speech that he has for her. And now she and we both overhear him 
as he speak, as he speaks. He says that she is as beautiful as a walled city. Again, notice how he respects that she is a walled city. She is a locked garden. She's insisting on marriage, not settling for a fling. Verse 4. You are beautiful, my darling, as Terzar. Terzar is a walled city in the north of Israel. Lovely is Jerusalem, another walled city in the south. Majestic as troops with banners. He goes on to say how beautiful she is. Uh, similar descriptions as he used before. Nice eyes, nice hair, white teeth with none missing. Nice temples. Verse 5. Turn your eyes from me. They overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep coming up from the washing. Each has its twin, not one of them is alone. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. He thinks she's gorgeous. But more than that, he thinks that she is unique. Just like she is the only daughter of her mother, she is the only girl for him. Verse 8. Sixty queens there may be, and eighty concubines, and virgins beyond number, but my dove, my perfect one, is unique. The only daughter of her mother, the favourite of the one who bore her. The maidens saw her and called her blessed. The queens and concubines praised her. The NIV says the next bit is spoken by friends. I think it's the, still the man speaking, though, because now he actually sees the girl. Uh, as she has overheard him, um, overheard what he's saying, she's come outside to him, and so finally he sees her and he calls out, and it sounds almost like Shakespeare, verse 10, Who is this that appears like the dawn, fair as the moon, bright as the sun, majestic as the stars in procession? He's seen her at last, and the girl now responds to the man. She says... She says, I came out to see if our love was ready, if it was a budding vineyard. I didn't realise I was getting a ride in a royal chariot. Uh, verse 11, the NIV says this is the man speaking, but I'm sure it's the girl. She says, verse 11, I went down to the grove of nut trees to look at the new growth in the valley, to see if the vines had budded or the pomegranates were in bloom. But before I realised it, my desire set me among the royal chariots of my people. That's a reference back to her dream, don't you reckon? You remember the dream where she, where she saw Solomon's carriage with the woman that he was joyfully wanting to marry, riding in it? She's thinking back to her dream here. So put it together, what's she saying? She's saying, I came out to find out if our love was moving forward, if it's budding and blooming, but now I realise you're ready to be the Solomon of my dream, to take me into your chariot, to joyfully marry me. And then it seems... The girl starts dancing. This is starting to get a bit like Bollywood. She starts doing the dance of Mahanaim, which according to my commentary is a victory dance. It is, and I quote, a whirling dance of joy and celebration that would emerge out of a military victory. Why is she dancing? Well, he likes that she has been a walled city. She hasn't lost him at all. He is willing to marry her. Victory is hers. And so off she whirls around her parents' front yard. The NIV says that the next bit is spoken by friends, but I think it's the man. He says, come back. They think it's friends because he says, we. Uh, but he says, let us. 
by which he probably means me and your parents and the daughters of Jerusalem and anyone else who is here in the front yard, let us see you as you dance. Verse 13. Come back, come back, O Shulamite. Come back, come back, that we may gaze on you. Why? Well, probably it's better translated how here. How would you gaze on the Shulamite? As on the dance of Mahanaim. And then the man begins to describe his victory dancing girl, his dancing queen. He starts from her dancing feet and he moves his way up. Chapter 7 and verse 1. How beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of a craftsman's hands. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is an ivory tower. Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bath-Rabim. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon. You can tell she's a Jewish girl. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon looking towards Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. He thinks she's magnificent as she whirls away dancing. He says he's desperate to climb all over her and make love to her, verse 6. How beautiful you are and how pleasing, O love, with your delights. Your stature is like that of the palm and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like the clusters of the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. Uh, She now responds to his song. Uh, She responds very passionately. She says she would love to make love to him as well. Halfway through verse 9. May the wine go straight to my lover, flowing gently over lips and teeth. I belong to my lover and his desire is for me. Come, my lover, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes send out their fragrance, and at our door is every delicacy, both new and old, that I have stored up for you. My lover. Uh, Now, the next scene, I don't think it's a bit of Tasmania that's happening in the Middle East here. I think she's just saying, I I wish you were my brother, then then I could kiss you right here in my parents' front yard, in front of all my family, and no one could worry. They're there in the front yard. She's saying, I just wish I could kiss you now. Of course, she could only do that if he was her brother in front of the whole family. She she says, I I wish you were my brother, then I could bring you straight into mum's place right now. Chapter 8, verse 1. If only you were to me like a brother who was nursed at my mother's breasts. Then if I found you outside, I would kiss you and no one would despise me. I would lead you and bring you to my mother's house, she who has taught me. I would give you spiced wine to drink, the nectar of my pomegranates. And now now we we jump to um, the refrain Uh, This fourth verse ends much like the first verse did. Uh, Do you remember way back in that first verse as as the lover responded to her insecurity with kindness? uh, He offered her secure love and then it talked about how she found rest and peace and security in his arms and then warned us with the first refrain at the end of the first verse, wait, don't arouse love. Well, once again now, uh, we, we picture the woman and the man safe and secure in each other's arms 
And so once again, she gives us the refrain. This is the wise lesson of the song. Wait. Wait for the right time for love. Chapter 8, verse 3. His left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. Safe, secure. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And so there's the lesson. We've seen it over and over again, haven't we? You can't hurry love. Don't mess with love until the time is right. And what does that mean from this section? Same as we've already seen in the first section. It means, it means don't arouse love until you can find security and rest in it. Okay. Can you see what we've covered in this fourth verse of the song? The girl has woken up from her dream where she dreamed that she'd lost her lover for good. She's told the daughters of Jerusalem, find my lover, tell him I'm faint with love. They say, why him? She says, he's so handsome and strong and lovely. They ask, well, where is he? And at that point, she sees him. He's he's come back to my parents' place. She then overhears him as he rehearses his speech about how he respects that she's uh, like a walled city, about how she's beautiful and unique, the only girl for him. He then sees her. She says... I came out to see if this relationship was moving forward. Now I see you're the Solomon of my dreams. You're willing to joyfully marry me. She does a victory dance. He tells her how beautiful she is, how he'd love to make love to her. She says, I'd love to make love to you as well. In fact, I wish I could take you inside right now. And then we finish this fourth verse with the same two sentences that we did the first verse. She is secure in his arms. She has found rest. And so she tells us the lesson. Don't arouse or awaken love until it so desires. It would make a good Bollywood story, don't you reckon? Uh, Plenty of twists and turns in this tangled web and even a bit, finally, of dancing. All right. Let's uh, think for a while about applying this passage to ourselves. As you can see from your outline there, I've got two applications, uh, a gospel application and a wisdom application. First, the gospel application. As I keep saying, this is not a song directly about Jesus. It is a song that gives us God's wisdom about love. But in giving us God's wisdom about love, it does point us to God's own love. And here again, God says that love is not ready until it is secure, until you can find rest. And friends, the the, the glorious, the wonderful, the magnificent news is that that is exactly the kind of love that God offers to us. Love that is secure, love in which we can find rest. Jesus says that no one can snatch his people out of his hand. In his love we are secure. Nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are tired and burdened, and I will give you rest. In Jesus, God offers us a secure love, a love in which we can find rest. That is something we should delight in. That is something we will delight in forever, and we'll think more about this next week, something we will delight in forever if we accept it. And so that's the gospel application. Accept and delight in the secure love that God offers. Find rest in Jesus. All right, well, now let's think about the wisdom application. What wisdom does God have here for our love lives? I'm sure that there is plenty to say, But the thing that strikes me is this. This relationship here, it isn't secure until they start talking to each other. 
until they can communicate their love. It's fine for her to be dreaming about him. It's fine for her to be talking to her friends about him. It's fine for him to be wandering in the mountains, muttering to himself about her. But until they actually talk to each other, there is no way forward. The tangled web cannot be untangled. The thing that brings this relationship to a point of security, the thing that brings this relationship to a point of readiness for love is the way that they speak so lovingly to each other. Friends, finding a marriage partner is a big thing. It is important to sort stuff out and you cannot do that unless you communicate. As I've said before, this is one of the most important things I try to do with couples preparing for marriage, to get them to learn to talk to each other, to express their love, to talk through their hopes and dreams and plans, to talk through how they're going to manage life together. The key is communication. And of course, this doesn't stop being true when you finally do get married. A marriage where people don't talk to each other is an insecure marriage. A marriage where people don't speak the kinds of words of love and appreciation and praise that we've seen today, the kind of marriage that has none of those sorts of words is a weak marriage. A marriage where people cannot find a way to keep communicating their love is a marriage in crisis. And yet it is very easy to let it fall off the agenda, isn't it? It's very easy to stop talking. Not that you don't say words to each other. I mean, schedules need to be coordinated. Jobs need to be done. Children need to be organised. You need to work out who's doing the shopping and, and who's cooking the dinner and what to watch on TV. But it's very easy to stop really talking. Stop talking like these lovers are talking. It's very easy to, to, to never get beyond just routine talk. Friends, is that your marriage? Have you, have you lost that loving feeling? Are you singing, you don't bring me flowers anymore? Blokes, blokes, you have to admit, this man here in Song of Songs, he puts us to shame. He works very hard to say nice stuff to his girl. I know he's not married yet, and I know it's so much easier when you're still trying to win her over and you don't know what a pain she is yet. But, but, but if he managed to keep this up after they were married, he would be a nice husband. He'd be the sort of bloke who sends an email to his wife during the day just to say he's thinking of her and how special she is. He'd be the sort of bloke who says thank you to his wife. Thank you for helping to keep the place clean. Thank you for helping with the children. Thank you for perhaps giving up full-time work to make our family life work out. Thank you for sex. Thank you for being loyal and faithful. Uh, he would be the sort of bloke, I bet, who buys the occasional flower or thoughtful gift. He would be the sort of bloke who tells his wife he loves her, who tells her how beautiful she is with a bit of imagination and effort, not just because he wants sex. And if he did turn out like this, I bet he had a happy wife. I bet he had a secure marriage. Why? 
because he was the sort of wise man, not selfish boy, the sort of wise man who is ready for love. As for this girl, again, I know they're not married yet, and I know sex is never as good in real life as it seems like it will be in prospect. But but assuming she keeps up the kind of love she shows here, I reckon she'd be a nice wife to have. The sort of wife who tells her husband how strong and handsome and competent he is. Yes, girls, we like to hear it. (laughs) The sort of wife who doesn't just lie back and think of England. The sort of wife who initiates and reciprocates in lovemaking. The sort of wife who even suggests, chapter 7, verse 11, if you want a Bible text for it, a weekend away in a countryside motel. If this girl managed to keep this stuff up, I bet she had a happy husband. I bet she had a secure marriage. How long has it been? How long has it been since you made a real effort to communicate your love to your husband or wife? Maybe telling them their teeth are like washed sheep or their nose is like the Tower of Lebanon doesn't do it for your spouse? But you know by now what they do like, don't you? I hope you do. If you don't, you need to repent and you need to ask them what they like, what would make them feel loved, what would make them feel secure, what would make them feel like they can rest in your relationship. Perhaps you you need to listen to when they say that they like something and, and make a note of it. We need to make an effort to do what it takes to effectively communicate our love as these lovers do so well in the passage we've seen. Friends, we don't want to arouse love until it is ready. It is not ready unless it is secure. And it won't be secure unless we communicate our love. And so here's the point. Wise lovers communicate their love. Wise lovers communicate their love. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have loved us with an everlasting love, a love from which nothing in all creation can separate us. Thank you that you've loved us with a secure love, a love in which we can find rest. Please help us to accept and rejoice in that love. And Father, please, by the power of your Spirit, work wisdom in us that we may ourselves be wise and good lovers as friends, as spouses, as Uh, Fellow members of church, help us to communicate our love in a way that is selfless, that is godly, and that helps us find rest and security in our relationships. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.